Hello, you are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Hengemill. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series on Monday nights at 7 p.m., which are held via Zoom webinar. For more information about these events, you can check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I am speaking with Tariq Brooks, who is a Jumpstart Germantown graduate and now lawyer with Royer Cooper Cohen Braunfield, who will tell us about the basics of corporate formation and how to set up a business entity for real estate investment. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com slash media. Uh, Tariq Brooks is a corporate and business lawyer at the law firm of Royer Cooper Co. and Braunfield LLC, where he specializes in, in, specializes in finance and lending transactions, commercial and business transactions, and general business counseling. He is a Philadelphia native and a graduate of Rutgers School of Law and Cheney University. He is also a graduate of the Jumpstart Germantown program with the winter 2019 class and invests in real estate. So he got to finish the program while it was in person, unlike our many recent graduates have been virtual, but I'll I'll let him introduce himself here. And and thanks for joining us tonight, Brooks, or Tariq, sorry. Hey, Derek, and hi, everyone out there. Um, Thanks for having me. Um, As Derek said, my name is Tariq Brooks. I was in your shoes you know, not too long ago, going through the Jumpstart program, um, being a, a person who uh, successfully completed the program. And I also have my hand in um, real estate as well and have been able to leverage that knowledge. Um, just to give you some background about me, um, Philadelphia born and bred, that's why I have a passionate a passion for Philadelphia and its development and growth. Um, my real estate career, I guess you can call it, is um, still relatively young. Um, I bought my first, I currently own two multifamily properties, uh, two duplexes, one of which I'm an owner-occupier of. Um, Mm -hmm. That was how I got started. I actually bought a property turnkey. And uh, my second duplex is one that I'm actually uh, renovating now. So getting my first taste of development, in that regard. And just to tell you a quick story about that and the importance of doing due, due diligence too, I, I actually managed to get a pretty good, relatively speaking, a good deal on this property because while it appeared to only allow a single family uh, use on its face when you when I did the diligence through Atlas, um, Upon having access to the actual zoning file and talking with uh, LNI, I was actually able to get it approved. Um, the historical use as a multifamily approved. Um, and that was how I was able to use it as a duplex and, and renovate the property as such. And it's one of those situations where, hey, you walk into something, you're always curious about 
the the violent zoning and violent use of it and, and conformance with it. And since that was set up as a multifamily without the recorded variance, but this historical approved use from like 1945 and it hadn't been disrupted um, in any way, I was able to continue with that two family use and just renovate the property as it was. So that was a really good um, find, I think for me, because that's typically my strategy. Um, I also passively invested in a few flips and other projects um, in, in West Philadelphia primarily, which is where um, I grew up at. And that is where I invested with a developer who was looking to raise money, but in addition to that was also willing to educate those that were interested in learning the development process. So kind of put my money to use, uh, didn't pay a tuition in a sense because I got my money back plus a return, but really used that experience to learn a lot about the development process on a step-by-step basis. Um, this person was a general contractor, so they were able to really break down a lot of the the nuts and bolts and the problems to look out for as you're actually renovating a property, uh, which was key. And just to get in a little bit, um, I'm also involved in financing real estate projects. Um, I represent lenders and borrowers who regularly make loans and receive loans to rehab mixed use properties, um, typically ground floor retail with like apartments or other residences above, um, also just commercial properties and representing owners who are, I mean, tenants that are looking to purchase their property so that they can become owners slash landlords and build equity in, in their businesses. So um, touching real estate and, and corporate and finance law in a number of ways which gives me a broad breadth of experience to be able to like evaluate and analyze problems from multiple aspects and facets. And on a real estate projects that I typically represent borrowers and lenders for, the sweet spot for my loans tend to be between $1 million and um, $30 million. And I have experience structuring loans that include private and public sources of funds. Um, through my experience as Assistant General Counsel at the Philadelphia Industrial Development Corporation, uh, PIDC. So a lot of experience rolled into these few years and the different perspectives and aspects. Yeah, that's great, Tariq. And it's so cool to, to hear you or, or be speaking with you as a training program graduate, because, um, you know, I, I went through my first two training programs, you know, on the administrative side of things. Um, and it's so cool to see, hear someone putting it to work and, and really um, you know, employing the skills that they learned. And, and now you're here, student becomes a teacher. <laughs> and it's, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So that, that's awesome to hear about your past projects and, and the one, the little story you told about the, the, you know, deal you got where you could turn it into a multifamily home, but it was, you know, on the face value, you thought it was single family. Uh, we covered it multi-unit conversions in a jumping uh, but I think three weeks ago. Uh, so it's just further proof that, that what we're telling here is, is what, what happens on the street. So, um, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Tariq. That was great. Um, so, so next, what, or, or first to start off, I want to jump into your topic, which is going to be, you know, corporate formation, how to get your business entity set up before investing. Um, and as an attorney, I'm sure you have a lot, lot to share with us and, and uh, dive into it. 
so the first thing I just want to ask is why is it important and, and what is the significance of setting up a legal entity and, and why is it considered like the first step of, of investing? So you set up a legal entity as the first step of investing because by investing, you're inheriting risk. Um, that risk is isolated to a legal entity when you form that entity and you are the owner of that entity versus that risk being borne completely by you as an, as an individual or a person. So in the event that there is a claim brought against you for the work that you're doing or you know, someone slips and falls at one of your properties or is damaged or is injured by what they consider a dangerous condition at the property um, without having a legal entity to shield your personal assets from um, exposure, uh, you will be subject to seizure, forfeiture, uh, could be garnishment of wages and income, um, just a lot of different avenues where a judgment seeker can attack, can come after your assets personally to recover the outstanding amount of any judgment. Mm -hmm. So by creating this legal entity, you shield yourself from personal liability and you limit your legal liability to the assets, um, income, et cetera, that is contained within that entity that you choose to form. And we'll get into the different uh, forms of legal entities that, you'll, that you have options of creating later. Um, but when you are thinking about creating a legal entity, there are typically about three or four things that you'll, be look, that you'll look to do when you create that entity. Um, first, you'll file the actual formation documents with the Secretary of State or Department of State for the jurisdiction that you plan on forming that property, uh, forming that legal entity in. As you typically want to form an entity in the location of the project. So for all of us working in Philadelphia, it would be in Pennsylvania. Um, or if you're selecting a jurisdiction for some favorable tax treatment. Like I know it was one common idea that um, forming entities in Delaware tends to be more beneficial because of its favorable state tax laws and um, the amount of litigation that has been conducted in that jurisdiction to help guide and make it more predictable um, how a particular issue will be resolved in those courts. But you'll, you'll file the formation document. You typically have a governing document, which are like the rules and regulations for operating that entity. Um, then you'll have an EIN number, which is the number that you report for federal, for federal uh, tax purposes, um, kind of like your business's social security number in a sense. And then you'll file for any necessary local licenses, for example, like a commercial activity license or a BRT number in, in Philadelphia. Um, those are the primary components of forming a legal entity. And even though it sounds like it's a lot, when you actually go through and do it, it's not as arduous as it sounds. And the risk that you take on by trying to conduct business as a sole proprietor without forming an entity typically doesn't outweigh 
the benefit of taking that extra time to form that entity at the outset and having it ready to go as you um, start and grow your operations. Yeah, so I want to ask you about that that extra time that you say they have to put into it. Um, well, you know, for somebody who's never done it before or, or doesn't know like the intricacies of a, of a business entity, I, I can imagine it sounds like a daunting task. Um, mm-hmm. Is it an obstacle as, as people think, or is it something that you can do, you know, um, reasonably quickly every time? So, and this could just be a trained eye, but it typically, the formation of the entity itself is relatively straightforward. Um, you file, you, you can do it by going to the PA uh, Department of State website, uh, which is essentially like the Secretary of State for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, you create an account, you file or select a form for creating the specific entity that you want to create. You complete the information. Um, Most of the questions are pretty straightforward or questions that you'll know the answer to. And you pay a fee generally for an LLC is about $125 for each LLC that you form. And you get the results of that filing back, the actual file stamp copy in like a day or two electronically. So it's something that while it sounds daunting, um, the more you get that hang of it or the more you see it, you'll be able to form them uh, relatively quickly. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I was going to ask you this a little bit later, but now makes the most sense. Do you need a lawyer to set it up? Because I, I know people might hear the le- the word legal or business entity and immediately think that they need to have a professional um, helping them out. Do, is that something that's required? So I guess the question is, it depends, right? I mean, the answer is it depends, right? Because you generally think that you need a lawyer or it's best, in my professional opinion, it's best to get the advice of a lawyer before you take any of these types of steps, um, in particular for the first time. But if you get that appropriate counseling at the outset with the first one, you can take what you learned on the first one and then do that for the second or any subsequent one. Um, The formation, while the formation of the document isn't that I mean, the formation of the entity isn't that difficult to do. Um, There are a lot of intricacies involved in that rules and regulations document that I mentioned to you that it would be highly recommended that you get a lawyer to draft a review for you. And those documents are typically required when you are going to interact with a third party about your business, whether it's looking for financing, such as through the Jumpstart program, um, seeking investors, so on and so forth. But you'll really want to get a lawyer if you're doing this for the first time or you haven't done this often. If you do have a structure that isn't a straightforward structure where it's just you being the owner, investing in one real estate property or one real estate asset that you either plan to hold for a period of time or uh, flip and resell, Um, Or if you just don't have the time to go through and figure it out um, and have the money to spend, you know, investing in a lawyer, it is money well spent because it does give you that peace of mind and someone to kind of point to in the event that something uh, does not go the way that you expected or the way that you anticipated. But nonetheless, between the legal liability shield and some of the tax benefits that you get, for 
creating an entity and filing taxes through that entity, um, it's recommended that you form one 9.5 times out of 10. And out of that 9.5 times, probably eight times out of 10, you should get an attorney to assist you with it. Awesome. Um, and I guess that's a biased question coming from a lawyer, but <laughs> I appreciate your honest answer. That's great. Um, it's interesting. I mean, because one thing I've been learning, um, I've practiced in a number of different environments from like the big law firm that services the Fortune 500 companies down to working with mom and pop shops and borrowers that are really like have very simple operations. And you start to see where the Fortune 500s understand the associated risk with giving decisions and, and doing some things on their own versus relying on legal counsel, it's like they have the bigger pocketbooks to be able to shoulder that, that expense. And cost is commonly a, a barrier to getting the legal services that you need for um, most of the transactions you enter into. So as a part of kind of like my, I guess, mission-driven approach to practice, I do really try to convey the risk as simply as possible because people are tend to be making like pretty big decisions about how they're investing their money and um, don't necessarily have a ton of it to, I guess, throw around and try different things. So um, chances are, if I'm in recommending you get a lawyer to do something, it's more very likely that it's required or it will be very beneficial to do so. Because if it's something that I think you could do yourself without any real true legal liability, um, I might just tell you to go ahead and give it a shot. Great. Awesome. So next, I, I want to get into it now. And, and once people have made the decision to, to, create, an, uh, or to create a business entity, uh, what different types are there to consider? Um, my understanding, there's three types and I'll let you list them out. Um, but, but what, what different options do people have once they get to that point of, you know, they're on the website and they're looking at the types of entities. Mm -hmm. So you typically have three types of entities that you'll form. Um, there are some variations within each entity, which will probably be beyond our need for discussing today, but there are typically things that you want to consider. So first entity that you'll probably hear about forming is a corporation. Um, this is an entity that's separate from its ownership, and the corporations tend to be owned by one or more people who aren't necessarily in control of the day-to-day -day operations of the company. And even the person that is managing and controlling the day-to-day -day operations of the company tends not to always be someone who is also an owner or owns like a significant or controlling amount. Um, that is one where people have used it historically. Um, it has risen in popularity again because of some of the preferential tax treatment of corporations under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Um, but it's one because of the reporting requirements that you have to submit to. Um, and depending on your business structure, it might not create the best tax treatment for you um, is one that we tend to not recommend as often for um, real estate, for holding or uh, buying, holding a single property or fixing and flipping a single property. The 
structures that we tend to recommend for that type of activity tend to be limited liability companies, which are also entities that are separate from the ownership of the, separate the legal and tax liabilities of the owners from their actual personal tax and legal liabilities. So you do get that, that limited liability shield by creating an LLC. And it can be taxed in a number of different ways depending on the structure. And you have like two or three options to select to get the best tax treatment that works for um, your structure of, of company and how you're operating your business. And then there's the partnership or the limited partnership, which you also hear about. And it's also an entity separated from the own separated and legal and um, income from the actual owner of the entities themselves. Partnerships are tend to be two or more people. Um, a single person cannot own a partnership um, just by legal definition. And partnerships or limited partnerships tend to really particularly be used when you have one person that is focused on the day-to-day -day management of the entity. And then you have investors or limited partners who have very little uh, control or management of the day-to-day -day operations of their company. So this is a structure you typically see employed where you hear about a general partner who might just collect like a management or a partner, a general partner fee. And then you have the limited partners who have a return based on the, num the amount of money that they've invested. Mm -hmm. So those are like the three common, um, I guess, entity structures that you'll encounter, each one having specific nuances and legal and tax liability that'll inform the particular structure that you decide to select for your business. And this is one situation where even if you can't afford to engage a lawyer. I mean, hey, I'll even give you the benefit of the doubt. A lawyer could be a, a point flip or a toss up in this situation, but an accountant, I think, is money well spent because the structuring that occurs at the front end and thinking about how you plan on executing your business and what tax advantages you can benefit from um, to avoid a higher tax liability are all things that you consider at the outset when structuring it and an accountant will probably be the best person to help you get the most bang for your buck. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with Tariq Brooks, a Jumpstart Germantown graduate and now lawyer at Royer Cooper Cohen Bronfield, who will tell us about the basics of corporate formation and how to set up a business entity for real estate development. Thanks for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying our discussion. Great. So I, I want to dive into those the second two that you mentioned there, a limited liability company and a limited partnership. But before we get to that, there's one that you know I've heard around and you didn't mention right now. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it, which is a sole proprietorship. Um, and that's you know like when somebody just... I, or you, you can explain it. What, what would a sole, sole proprietorship be? And, and is that something that's relevant at all in this discussion? Yeah, I mean, so sole proprietors technically aren't 
ent legal entities that are recognized as separate legal persons for in the eyes of the law. So when you're operating as a sole proprietor, you're an individual whose business activity and liability isn't really separated from whether legally or otherwise from your personal activity or liability. So this can also include people who form DBAs, like, hey, I'm going to go out and be a contractor and I'm not going to form an LLC right now, but I'm going to just form a DBA so that I can conduct business under this name. Well, that that allows you to go get signage for your business and cars made, but that doesn't protect you in the event that um, you face a claim for some work that you did on a property when you were uh, renovating, let's say, a four-unit apartment building. Um, when that property owner comes to sue you as a sole proprietor, your personal assets, so your home, your car, any deposit accounts or bank accounts that you have, all of those assets are subject to recovery by that um, judgment asserter in the event that one is asserted. So by creating or operating as a sole proprietor, you are exposing yourself to the most legal liability um, personally, and you aren't not taking advantage of some of the beneficial tax treatment or tax advantages that are given to those entities that we described before. So, I mean, I tend not to recommend that people operate as sole proprietors um, unless you are conducting business uh, in such a minor or irregular way that is difficult for you to really justify the investment in creating a separate uh like a separate legal entity to conduct your business, um, or if you are going to be conducting it for a short term, term or short time period, you may be able to get away with a sole proprietorship, but generally I would recommend you form some type of legal entity. Okay, great. So let's talk about the, the first one. This is probably the most common one that I feel uh, people are discussing, which is a limited liability company. And uh, maybe we can start with the, what are the liability, <laughs> it's in the name, but we can start with the legal liability benefits, um, as opposed to being a sole proprietor, or, uh, you know, a limited partnership. So what specifically about a limited liability company uh, provides, I feel like I'm repeating myself, legal liability? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, as you said, Derek, most business owners will form LLCs to conduct their business. It's one of the simplest entities to form. It allows, tends to allow you the most flexibility with its operations. Um, it's generally a good one to form and you don't have the same like reporting requirements or um, other obligations as some of the other entities. They're primarily instruments, well, they're instruments of state law, which is why you file them um, with the Department of State, for example, in Philadelphia to be recognized by that particular, or, or Pennsylvania to be recognized by that particular um, governing body. And you usually would do that in the location that the property is based or where you would see yourself operating the most from. LLCs are great because they still offer you the shield of per the shield of your personal assets from seizure, judgment, or forfeiture because of lawsuits against the limited liability company. Um, instead of someone suing you personally for 
um, an accident that occurred at one of the properties you own, they'll be suing the limited liability company, which is seen as a separate and distinct person in the eyes of the law, and that's important. Um, PA LLCs are governed by the PA Limited Liability Company Act, and that includes your standard rules to uh, help you determine how you'll run your company. Those rules can be overridden or drafted out of the operation of your company through the creation of an operating agreement, which is one of those rules and regulation documents that I mentioned before um, that only applies to a limited liability company, but could be worth investing the money and getting an attorney to actually help draft um, the cipher for you. Um, those also tend to be single member or multiple member LLCs, um, where the legal liability could also be shared amongst the assets of more than one person. So if you are starting this business with a partner, each of you invests $20,000 in a business, and then in a judgment arises, you would be subject to your $10,000 that you invested and your partner would be sub $10,000 that they invested would be subject, um, but it would not roll through to the personal liability of either, either owner, which is the real um, important key with these types of entities. Great, so what about tax treatment benefits? Um, that's something you mentioned earlier. And, and what specifically about an LLC uh, can you find, or what in an LLC can you find tax treatment benefits? So LLCs tend to be taxed, I guess, two or three ways. As a partnership, as a disregarded entity, and in certain circumstances, which is typically best to consult with an accountant for, um, they can be taxed as a subchapter S corporation, or as we hear, just an S corp. Um, different facts and circumstances determine which type of taxation structure that you will benefit from and therefore should select. Typically, if there's more than one person, you'll be taxed as a partnership. Um, you can also elect S corporation taxation if both are individuals. However, if one of the members is an entity, then you will not be eligible to elect taxation as an S corporation. And the real benefit of some of these tax structures are the pass-through taxation, whereas you aren't just taxed, you aren't taxed on the entity level for the income you make and as an owner for the income or revenue that's passed through to you as a result of the profit, profitability of the company, you tend to just be taxed on at the entity level, I mean, at, on your personal level and not taxed at the entity level. So yeah, tax is probably one of the primary drivers for selecting an LLC. It fits so many different people's uh, business operations and, and circumstances and is a very popular and easy um, form to take. 
Great, yeah, and I, I hear you on that last point. I think tax benefits are probably the main driver of the entire economy as a whole. So, oh yeah, exactly. Everyone is trying to avoid taxes, and that's why some of those bigger companies invest a ton of money in figuring out how to avoid taxes. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about evasion, which we know is illegal, but avoidance, where you're reporting your taxable income, but you're figuring out ways to run your business whereas you're getting the proper deductions and reducing your taxable income to a level that's as low as possible. Awesome. So uh, we're about 10 minutes out from the Q&A, so I want to move on to the next type of entity, which is a limited partnership. And uh, how is this different than just an LLC with you know, multiple members? You know, what, what are the nuances here? Um, we'll start with legal liability benefits um, like we mm-hmm. did with the last one. Yeah, so LPs tend to have legal liability benefits that allow you to only be liable to the extent of your investment in the business and the business's assets. So with an LLC, I mentioned, hey, where the, if the LLC is to your, your $10,000 and your partner's $10,000 are definitely both subject to suit, whether you made the mistake or whether your partner made the mistake. Um, with limited partnerships, and just for the sake of simplicity, because there are some additional wrinkles that might not even make this apply, but for the sake of simplicity, in the event that your partner is sued for some, or the general partner is sued for actions that it took, you may be liable to the extent of your investment, um, but in the event that there is some other reason or if you have some indemnification which is the right to reimbursement because of the legal liability resulting from the action of the general partner um, you have some shield from that so just because the entity is to an limited partnership you can sometimes negotiate the right to only have your assets at risk upon certain circumstances Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That makes sense. Uh, so I, the obvious next question is tax treatment benefits. Uh, well, what, what do limited partnerships bring that limited liabilities companies don't? So, they, I mean, they tend to actually be taxed fairly, not fairly similarly in a sense of each individual deduction, but in a sense of having that one level of taxation as an individual as opposed to having it be taxed at the entity level and the earnings that are passed through to you being taxed. Um, You will typically, as a limited partnership, the profitability or loss of the partnership will be determined. Each one of you will share rateably in that loss or in proportion to the amount of limited partnership interest that you have in the entire company. And then that loss or gain will pass directly to you um, be reported on a schedule on your income taxes, and then um, that the subsequent tax treatment will, I guess, you know, impact your business as as the uh, internal revenue code requires. So there isn't as much difference um, in a multi-member LLC that's taxed as a partnership and an actual limited partnership. I think the real distinction for those purposes tend to be more in the legal structure, liability, and operations of those types of entities. We more so see LPs when you have a lot of passive investors in a project 
And the general partner is the one who is actually really trying to do all of the legwork to get the project to completion. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and, and I think you said this earlier, I could have misheard you, but so no operating agreement is required in a limited partnership. Is that right? I'm sorry. So there is there no operating agreement is required, but there's a document called a limited partnership agreement. Mm-hmm. And that is like the rules and regulations document for a limited partnership. Gotcha. So just to LLCs typically have operating agreements, limited partnerships tend to have limited partnership agreements, corporations tend to have bylaws. So those are like the three rules and regulations governing documents for each type of entity. Gotcha. And um, we don't have to go too into it because I'm sure we could go on for hours talking about the entirety of the documentation that's required mm-hmm. for um, are there any other big ones that you can think of, you know, on the spot that make a differentiation between the limited liability company and the limited partnership? Um, or, is um, it, or are they just the same documents with different names? <laughs> no, well, it, it's, it's hard to say because it's not, I mean, the documents in, themselves can look very similar, but because of that operation where there's a managing person and then a bunch of people who put their money at risk but aren't really involved in the management, a limited partnership tends to work better. In an LLC, you'll have the owners that tend to also be operators of the company and all have the control and as well as their money at risk. But alternatively, you could structure an LLC as a, mem- as a manager managed limited liability company. And that has a very similar structure to a limited partnership. And there are different reasons um, why each business might select one or the other, so on and so forth. Okay, cool. So uh, I want to move on to my last question here, and then we'll get into the the Q&A, which I see has a lot of questions coming in. So thank you, everybody. Um, But I want to take you, so take off your lawyer shoes and let's step into your real estate development shoes. Um, I want to ask you about like strategies for, for I want to ask you about what strategies you can provide, you know, the callers here that, that maybe have only invested in one property, maybe as a sole proprietor, or they're just considering setting up an LLC, but they don't really know, you know, which one to choose, or, you know, it could be as trivial as how to name it or, or, you know, whether to make it individual property so so i want to just ask you what sorts of strategies can you give people to to like how can you outside of legal liability benefits and outside of tax benefits you know what's what's the advantage of something like you know putting five properties under one llc and five properties under another or creating 10 different llcs um what what strategies can you give us yeah it's tough because the reason that people tend to do 10 LLCs as opposed to one is for the separation of legal liability. Um, each LLC is a, its own person in the eyes of the law. So any of its income and any of its liabilities are separated to that entity. So taking my, putting my real estate developer hat on, I'll probably, and I actually think this is a, a sentiment echoed in the Jumpstart program too, but you don't really want to have more than two or three properties under a single LLC for that purpose, especially if they're buying holds. Now it's different when you are a flipper, let's say, and you are acquiring and divesting properties, you know, probably two, three, four times a year, depending on how well oiled your machine is. Um, you'll probably 
buy those and sell those all through one. Um, but at the same time, some people also form LLCs for each project, name it whatever they want. Most people tend to name it the address of the property just for ease of tracking when you have to go back through all of this stuff at the end of the year in preparation of tax time. Um, and they might form one for each. So it, it, it kind of depends, but I would probably say no more than two or three buyer holds under one um, because you want to keep that separate. And if these are like duplexes or triplexes, that makes sense. But if you're doing two or three, eight or 10 unit properties, then I will also suggest separating them into sync separate uh, entities because the stakes are much higher with those types of properties. And I know this is an example that is used far too much when talking about limited liability, but say someone slips and falls on the, the one property that is also is under the L same LLC of 10 other properties, you're much more screwed than you are if it was just, you know, two property, two, two smaller ones, right? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. So if you own a duplex, someone falls down the stairs in one duplex, sustains massive injuries, they come back and sue you saying that there's a dangerous condition present. Well, since all of those properties are under one LLC, all of those properties become subject to the judgment because they're suing that one legal person for all of the assets that it has up to the amount of the judgment or, or the claim. So it is not separated to the fact that that happened on the property at, on Seymour Street Therefore, my property on Germantown Avenue shouldn't should be safe. No, if they're all under one LLC, all those properties are subject. But if you have them under separate ones, then the property on Seymour is the one, if that is where the event occurred, that is subject to liability. But the property on Germantown um, is relatively safe. Okay, awesome. So I, I want to give plenty of time here for Q&A. So I think we're going to wrap up our conversation. And, and before I do that, Tariq, thank you so much for coming back and, and joining us. And it's like I said at the beginning, it's so cool to hear a, a former audience member of, of calls like <laughs> now currently, uh, you know, telling us. So, so thanks so much. And, and I appreciate you taking the time tonight to, to educate our community. Sure, no problem. Happy to help. Um, it's an exciting time, a lot of growth going on in Philadelphia. Um, I don't know if anyone has read the Philadelphia 2035 plan, but when you see the, the vision that the city has for Philadelphia, the city, I guess, and its various agencies and bodies have for Philadelphia in the next 10 or 15 years, um, we're, we're poised for tremendous growth and it's best to, you know, be a part of that however you can. And this is one, one great way to be a part of it. Awesome. And Tariq, you're giving me the perfect plug opportunities because we had a 2030. <laughs> And jumping our, uh, I think maybe a couple months ago, and, and we had Ian Hagerty, who was a, a city planner. He came on and, and told us all about the plan. So I agree with you. There's a lot on the horizon, and uh, and hopefully this is part of that. You know, educating people on how they can do it themselves and, and be a part of it. That concludes my conversation with Tariq Brooks, a Jumpstart Germantown graduate and now lawyer at Royer Cooper Cohen Braunfield, who told us about the basics of corporate formation and how to set up a business entity for real estate investment. Next week, I will be speaking with Patrick Grossi and Jennifer Robinson from Preservation Alliance. To
to discuss the importance of advocating for historic renovations and how to complete a development project in a historically conscious way. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7 p.m. If you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, you can visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to guide and open source training workbook. Thanks so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Be sure to tune in next week.